The Mets kicked the Braves down a couple pegs. We obviously did not play well, and I don't think that anyone here would argue that, but beauty of the baseball is got a lot more left. Welcome to the Braves Report, the new podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that takes you inside the clubhouse and gives you the stories behind the score. I'm Jay Black with AJC Braves beat reporter Justin Toscano coming to us from New York, and it took until early August, but the Braves now have a three-game losing streak, and it comes at a terrible time. Yeah, it couldn't be um, a worse ending to this series. The series couldn't have gone much worse. The only way it would have gone worse is if they were swept in five games, but they did not play well. They did not pitch well. They did not hit consistently. They didn't make some of the defensive plays, albeit tough, that we've seen them make all year. Uh, And they really head to Boston with kind of a sour taste in their mouth. All right, coming up, we will dig into what went wrong in New York and what the Braves must do to recover. Plus, we'll look at Ian Anderson and what he must do to recover his spot in Atlanta's rotation. Is Ron Lacuna finally coming out of his summer-long slump? What we think of the new Braves their first week on the job? And, of course, it's our Ask Justin segment. If you're listening to us for the first time, please follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. The Braves Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is brought to you by Kroger. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, first off, uh, Justin, as we hear the planes flying overhead as we record this, Uh, from New York. We thank those loyal Braves Report listeners who actually downloaded the show today because I'm sure this past week was not a lot of fun to watch, but hopefully we can put a little context behind what happened. And and I know that you've been very critical of the term ace on this podcast. Uh, Has one uh, Mr. Jacob DeGrom met your very high bar? (laughs) I think think Jake has not only met the bar, but exceeded it and is probably setting his own (laughs) bar that that guy's ridiculous, and I mean, yeah, no, thanks for everybody for downloading this. Uh, we'll try to put some context and some nuance to it and uh, give you what you need to know and what you should be thinking now and going forward. But yeah, this this was probably the Braves' worst six-game stretch of the season going back to a very winnable game against Philly when they could have swept that two-game set. And then in New York, where, as Dansby Swanson told us, if you take out two innings against Taiwan Walker... The Braves otherwise just did not play well. All right, spoiler alert. Here comes Dansby. But first, here's Brian Snitker on the series. It wasn't a good weekend, obviously. You know, we struggled to win the one game we did. And, um, you know, we were down, I think, in all of them, except for the one we won. It was a rough weekend, you know. But we got to put it behind us. You know, we got a day off, and we got to start new on Tuesday. So, like I say, we got enough games left that we can make a, you know, a run at this thing, and, and um, that's how we got to look at it. You know, it was a bad weekend. We just got to regroup and, and uh, come out firing on Tuesday. I think the initial reaction, obviously, is we did not play well, um, really, in any, in any phase. I mean, if you take out two innings of the second game on, or the second game of the series, so Friday night's game, if you take out that, I mean, we obviously – did not play well um, in all phases of the game, really. I didn't think offensively we had consistent at-bats. Defensively, uh, made a lot of, there was a lot of just miscues, not, not necessarily just errors, but uh, free passes, extra bases. Um, you know, then pitching-wise, you know, inefficient. 
you know, with, with pitch counts and things of that nature. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, we obviously did not play well, and I don't think that anyone here would argue that. Dansby, a little pointed there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, in these moments, you need that. You need accountability. You need a leader. The media is not the all-important being in America or in sports. It's not anything close to that. But it is, you know, Dansby speaking right there, is how you reach the fans. And after this, I think the fans just want accountability. Um, I think everybody knows the Braves didn't play well. There's no sugarcoating it. There's no time for excuses, no time for anything. The Braves are very good. They're coming off a World Series. They're as talented as any team in baseball and more talented than most teams in baseball. They're as talented as the Mets, even if this didn't go the way everybody, you know, in Braves country had hoped it would. But you need a little accountability, and Dansby was very honest. They didn't play well. You know, they didn't make some of the defensive plays they've made. Um, and like he said, not even the errors, just missed plays, you know, kind of some head scratching, you know, brain farts. Um, the bats were not as good consistently. New York's pitching completely overmatched Atlanta's uh, sluggers. And then you had, you know, just some failed execution here and there. And so, yeah, he it needed to be said. Um, he said it, and you're getting it from the kind of the unquestioned leader of the clubhouse, one of them at least. And Spencer Strider wasn't uh, too wound up either about how things went on Sunday, and we were certainly reminded this weekend how well the Mets actually put the ball in play. A lot of weird hits. Seem to be having a lot of luck right now offensively, so um, that's great. It's August. Uh, see what see what things are like in October. What makes them so good at grinding out those at-bats and fouling off pitches until they can put one in play? I don't know. Um, you know, it helps when they're getting calls and, you know, 1-1 one, one counts turn to 2-1 counts instead of 1-2 counts and stuff like that. So, like I said, you know, when your, your bat ups 330, 340 as a team, it's... Uh, it's tough to tough to get quick innings and get quick outs. I know there is you know some luck involved there, but there is something to be said about making your own luck. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think look, like I know what Spencer Strider's getting at, and uh, and he you know he's been a terrific rookie for them all season. He's pitched well, so well for them, exceeded all expectations. This was a tough start, emotional start, you know things like that happen. I would be pretty upset too if. I got Pete Alonso to hit a ground ball on a ball that was a few inches below the zone, and that ground ball proceeded to ricochet off the base and turn into a two-run double. Um, so, you know, there were bloopers, there was soft contact. On nine balls put in play against Spencer Strider, the Mets had an average exit velocity of 82.2 miles per hour. Um, so there, there wasn't really anything hard hit other than Mark Canna's 105-mile-per-hour two-run double that was absolutely smoked and ended Strider's day. But there is something to be said for creating your own luck. Look, the Mets have a 302 batting average in balls in play, and they rank, I think it's uh, fifth in baseball or something like that. The Braves have a 298 batting average on balls in play. So, yeah, the Mets aren't super high in average exit velocity in terms of baseball, and, and so there's something to be said for the lack of quality contact, things like that. But, you know, I asked this to Brian Snicker and Dansby Swanson, and both of them agreed that, you know, there's something to be said for putting balls in play and, like you said, creating your own luck. Um, it's one thing if a lucky play happens on pitch one or pitch two. Uh, it's another if it happens, like, on that Alonzo bat on pitch eight. Like, the Mets are, have consistently worked the Braves' starters um, in the last two series um, and have worked at bats, grinded out at bats, 
And when you do that and you put the ball in play, like you're leaving it up to chance and good things can happen. And they did. Like they put the Braves in a lot of tough situations by merely putting the ball in play. We saw that Strider play. Um, and then in Saturday's game too, we saw the failed double play with Max Fried trying to cover first. We saw Austin Riley going to the baseline, then trying to throw into the, you know, into the runner, trying to throw home. Um, the Mets simply putting the ball in play has put the Braves in a lot of tough situations. And I mean, I've asked Braves starters before about this and, you know, something always seems to come up in, in terms of, you know, Braves players speaking about the Mets that they've just got, whether it be Jeff McNeil, Mark Cannon, or other guys, they've just got players who are good at hitting, you know, ground balls and good at, you know, good contact hitters and some stuff like that's going to happen. Not everybody, you know, has a lineup full of five or six home run hitters. The Braves are very fortunate to, but I think the Mets just skin the cat in a different way and that way can still be good sometimes as much as it might frustrate the Braves and their fans for the Mets to get lucky. We've taken your temperature on this at the start of the season and after the first series in New York in May and, and, and in the middle of the season at the halfway point. Are the Mets better than the Braves? Yeah, right now the Mets are better. Um, I just think that they execute on a much more consistent level, whether that's defensively um, or on the mound or in their at-bats. Like, their at-bats were just much better this weekend, much more thorough, much tougher. Um, They got to deeper counts. When they needed to make a pitch, they did. They were aggressive in the zone. Their guys weren't nibbling um, and and things like that. And I, I think... Right now, you can't look at it any other way. The Mets have completely dominated the NL East. So far, they just had a stretch of 11 NL East games, and they went 9-2 and two in them. Um, and so I think right now they're better. But the Braves have these guys for seven games to finish the season. Four are at Truist Park in a couple weeks, and three more are you know, at the end of September into the beginning of October. So this thing could certainly change. Like It is August, like Spencer Strider said. It's not September. It's not October. The Mets are the Mets. They could still collapse. But Snit mentioned something interesting, and you're hearing a lot of the Braves say this, that the Mets have a good team this year, and, and Snit said it like this. They're not gonna, you know, they're not gonna go anywhere. Like they're, you know, and, and basically we've heard that from multiple people. Is this team's just not gonna fall off. They're they're good. Um There's adults in the room now in New York. A hundred percent. Uh the Wilpons are gone, Steve Cohen is in. Um Billy Epler, who did not succeed in Anaheim. Not a lot of people are succeeding there right now. (laughs) Exactly. A very tough owner to work for. Um, He's there. Sandy Alderson is still there. And they've got... The culture has changed in New York. They've got Max Scherzer, you know, the consummate pro, a guy who's done it for a long time and is still doing it at age 38, not only on the field, but in the clubhouse as a leader. And now, you know, they've got Jacob deGrom back at the top of that rotation. And here's the thing, is when they took two of three at Truist Park last month, they didn't even have Jeff McNeil or Starling Marte in their starting lineup. They had both of those guys, but the Braves are still without Ozzie Albies. They should add Kirby Yates. Um, who knows eventually if Mike Soroka can provide anything you know, down the stretch. But the Braves are just as every bit as talented, but right now the Mets are better because they do the little things better, and they kind of have more of an identity that way. They've picked up three games in a week, now up six and a half. Mets will be at Truist Park a week from Monday. And this time last year, the Braves were indeed right at 500. They are well exceeding that now. They'll realize that because they've experienced it. They've been through it, and they're going to know that this thing's far from over, that's for sure. So, like I said, we got a lot of games to play. We can get hot again. Um, honestly, I, I didn't expect this thing 
after you know the run we've been on for the last six seven weeks to not have another bump in the road it's just it's nothing's that easy you know I knew we were going to have to navigate some tough times again um, before this thing was over and and we'll you know what we've come out of out of it before and we'll come out of it again so what has to happen for Atlanta a to come out of it and then b pass the Mets in the the last two months of the season yeah so a I don't really think they're in anything I think that was a bad loss to Philly and the Mets are just a really good team and they the Braves played in a really tough environment, and the Mets got rolling at times. They Basically, they played Mets baseball, what it has been. The 2022 Mets played like the 2022 Mets in front of their home fans, um, and I think that did it. But I don't really think the Braves are in a funk. Now, if they go and lose one or two in Boston, maybe. Uh, you know, If they don't play well in Miami, yeah. But I think this is just a case of playing two good teams and one of them you know, playing them for five games. I think they've just got to get back to what – they're good at with this which is hitting with runners in scoring position moving the line a little bit more um the concerning part is that they've shown that if they face a pitcher who can limit the long ball things usually don't go very well uh they haven't done well in these Mets series against Phillies aces they haven't done particularly well um and I think that's concerning so I think they've got to get back to moving the line a little bit passing the baton getting that big hit lacing that big double to the gap things like that and defensively, like, just stay the course. I think there were some tough plays, some tough errors that um, were charged to the Braves here. But I think they're going to be fine. Like, they're, they're, one of, you know, they're one of the best defensive infields in baseball. That stuff usually, you know, reverts back to the mean. I think it will with the Braves. And then to pass the Mets, I mean, I know everybody wants a number, so I'll just throw myself out on the line here. But I think you've got to probably win at least five of the seven games that you have left at Truist Park, if not six of seven, or you know, sweep them all. And so I think uh, you've got to do that because the Mets, and I looked at this earlier, Jay, they've got the Pirates twice in September, the Marlins twice, the Nationals, and the Cubs. They've got a very, very <laughs> yep. easy September schedule. And so the Braves basically have to come close to sweeping them the rest of the way at Truist Park because I just the Mets can quote unquote collapse or have the uh normal Mets swoon that we see every summer but I just don't know those teams are so bad that I'm not sure if they're you know even even would lose those games if they didn't play well after the deadline after what we saw in New York after what the Dodgers did to the Padres this weekend what is the Justin Toscano top four NL power rankings at this point? Oh, God. Um, I'm going to go Dodgers, one. Mets, two. Braves, three. Padres, four. Because I still think the Braves are better than the Padres. I still think they've got a deeper team in terms of what their pitching staff can do, what their bullpen can do in that lineup, um, especially because the Padres just haven't proven they can – hang with the Dodgers yet um you know you could say well the Braves lost the season series against the Padres and that would be valid too but I think right now I'm going Dodgers Mets the Dodgers are on incredible roll the Mets are right behind them um and the Mets have handled the Braves uh and then I'll go Braves Padres but it's going to be crazy because we talked about this on our trade deadline one where right now the NL East even with three wild card spots the NL East is they're high stakes in that race because they're playing for the right to not play the Padres in the wild card. Because yep. right now the Braves are 
currently slotted to play the Padres. And in a short series, the Padres would be running out, presumably, you Darvish and Joe Musgrove. Or you Darvish and Mike Clevenger. Or Joe Musgrove and Mike Clevenger. Some combination of starters like that. Or it could even be Blake Snell. Um, and if you're a Braves team that has won more games than the Padres, you don't want to face a team like that. Um, and if you're the Mets, you don't want to get the Padres in a short series. It's, it's kind of, there's a lot riding on this race the rest of the way. When you're looking for leading cardiac treatment, look to Northside Hospital Heart Institute. We lead with five emergency cardiac care centers. So we're here when you need us most. We lead with more than 55 locations in Georgia. That means we're always in the heart of your neighborhood. We lead with clarity because clear direction is better when it comes to understanding every step of your treatment. Northside Hospital Heart Institute. We lead with heart. The Braves Report is brought to you by Kroger, and the summer winds down now. There are still plenty of fun things you can do with your kids, including Kroger Chef Jr., so come join your local Kroger chef for a guided kids' cooking experience making a fruit pizza on August 13th and August 27th at select Kroger locations. Each Kroger Chef Jr. is a 30-minute class where your child receives an apron and a patch, chef's hat, recipe card, and box, and a pizza cutter for only 7 bucks per kid. So register for your time now at KrogerChefJr.com. That is KrogerChefJr.com. Speaking of pizza... Uh, did you get a chance to take in any New York pizza during these uh, five games? I did not. And that is a massive, massive regret. I think sometimes the days just kind of pile on you. So it's like I got out of the hotel a little bit late on Thursday afternoon. And I settled for Chipotle. Uh, on Friday, I wanted, <laughs> to try this, I wanted to try this diner I like, uh, this place called Friedman's here. No free ads, but it's, it's a place I like. I wanted to try that. Um, and then on Saturday, I, I completely forgot because I spaced. And so Saturday, we were here the whole time. So I was here from, I think it was 9.30 in the morning to midnight. And so, and then today, woke up a little late, slept in a little bit, um, and then I had to get to the ballpark, so I just grabbed a protein shake on the way. But it, uh, uh-huh. it's, it's a massive regret, especially because you're not thinking that these the, – the, the other trip to New York got canceled because of the first week of the season, the yep, lockout stuff. So this is, no, this is it. But I think because you mentioned that, now we're going to get Mets Braves in the postseason, right? Oh, there you go. Well, now let's um, let's dig into one thing the Braves may need uh, in the postseason. That's to get Ian Anderson correct. If you're just joining us, he has been sent down to AAA. And, and here's what you guys talked about after that was announced. Were you surprised? I know you mentioned a couple weeks ago that they were letting you pitch through this and had some confidence yeah. in you. Did this surprise you at all? Um, no, I mean, I think you look at the way the last two days, three days played out. Um, you know, just kind of one of those business things that happened, so you know, I'm going to hopefully go down there and, and figure some things out and be right back. I know it doesn't make it any easier, but when you see what Kyle did down there last year and, and AJ, and does that give you some confidence on like, hey, you, you know, when they say you're still part of the plans? or you know, yeah. Be yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, they made that part pretty clear, so um, now it's just kind of about getting confidence back and uh, figuring some things out. And here's Snit on the move. It's just like I told him. It's like we need to get him right. I mean, we need him. He's a big part of what we got going on and, and um, you know, it's happens. I mean, it's a, hopefully he can take a step back and reassess things and get himself going. That's the biggest thing. It's just about him. And, and Noah's, you know, been up here. He was scheduled to start today and it, it's 
kind of a, you know, we don't have any length right now. We've chewed up a lot of those guys this uh, at the beginning of this series. So if something would happen stupid today and, you know, early in the game, we just need somebody who's capable of giving us some length. Is this more about the Braves just need some length, or is this Ian Anderson has got to get fixed before the stretch run and Jake Odorizzi's here now? It's a little bit of both. Like, they weren't lying when they said they needed length. Um, but he just hasn't pitched well. That's the bottom line. He's got a 5.11 ERA through 21 starts. Um, a 1.543 whip, I believe, is the exact number. Too many walks, too much traffic on the bases, too consistently. Um, and really, like, the final straw, and I don't even know if it was a final straw situation. I just mean that when the Met or the Braves spotted him an eight-run lead against the Mets. He still couldn't cover five innings. He gave up four runs. Yes, that's a tough lineup, as he mentioned, but, you know, he just hasn't really shown the ability to string together good starts consistently, and what worries me is the competition level. I think um, most of his good starts of the last month or something, he had a couple good ones against the Nationals and a good one against the Diamondbacks, but otherwise, it's you know, it's kind of been tough sledding for him here and there, and I this season um and so yeah it's a lot of it i think is about having him get right for the stretch run this is a kid who is still 24 years old he's had so much postseason success for them he's got a 1-2-6 era i think through eight postseason starts in his career and oh by the way he's only been up for two years before this so he's only been to two postseasons and has already done that he's pitched in the world series he's pitched in game seven of the nlcs he's done so much for them already so he's a big part of their plans. They're definitely not beating around the bush or lying when they're saying that. Um, the need for next arm, extra arm, and you know it, was there. Um, but Ian Anderson hasn't pitched well. Uh, they've let him pitch through it until this point. But we saw how this could happen to, you know, an affect Kyle Wright. It affected A.J. Minter. Um, those are guys who use that in a good way and came back up here and really have pitched well since. And I think that's what they want with Ian Anderson is more consistency, attacking batters more consistently. He wants to land his breaking ball more consistently, get his pitch mix going. A lot of that is going to be easier down there versus facing teams like the Mets and the Phillies and other teams they will play down the stretch. So I think he is very much still in the plans. In fact, he's even going to start Saturday's doubleheader against the Marlins, one of those games. But... They needed him to be to get back to being Ian Anderson consistently, and this will give him a chance to do that. And you did go to Kyle Wright and talk to him on Sunday about how that experience going back down to AAA went for him. So I know you went to AAA last year and figured a lot of stuff out. Ian's always had the stuff. Yeah. How, how confident are you? How much do you believe in a guy like that who's shown he can do it before just to quickly figure these things out? Yeah, I mean, one, it's just kind of a... It's just like, well, you, you, you have to look at it in a positive way, right? I mean, it's obviously not something that you want to happen because, you know, something happens where you get sent down. But I think Ian has the he has the right mindset. He He's, I mean, he's he's still, I think we still forget how young he is too sometimes. 24. Yeah, but he's just, he's so mature um, for that age. And I think, because I talked to him, he's like already kind of, you know, shifted his mindset to, you know, I'm going to, get down there I'm gonna figure this thing out and uh, come back better so it takes a lot honestly that's the hardest part is uh just accepting like you know I'm gonna go down here and you know I'm gonna figure this out instead of you know the easy the easy way is just kind of go in a hole and you know think about you know start complaining like why this why me because I did that at times and I was like 
when I finally got out of that trap, that's when I feel like I, I truly got back to myself, and that's kind of what happened last year. And I was able to, you know, kind of figure myself out and get back to who I was. It's kind of funny, Kyle Wright, uh, calling Ian Anderson young. Ian Anderson's 24, Kyle Wright's 26. <laughs> yeah, and you think about them. Here, Here's another funny thing is that Kyle Wright was drafted a year after Ian Anderson. Yep. He just went to he just went to college in Anderson, got drafted out of high school. But here's the funny thing is that we think so much of Ian Anderson as a steady guy who is ready to take over as, you know, a potential frontline starter when he developed uh, more. And it just hasn't turned out that way. And Kyle Wright's the guy who has been through those struggles. He's been the former, you know, number, you know, first round pick who had high expectations, who didn't meet them, who was sent up and down. He went down to triple. In fact, his journey is been tougher than Anderson's in that degree and so to hear him seek out Ian Anderson you know which what a good teammate does and then um, to bring the good reports back about yeah how Ian Anderson shifted his mindset into just really getting better and coming back up here and and pitching well um, that's encouraging and another thing that I found encouraging was to write um, in a, a later question in that interview he said that Ian has still seemed fine or has still seemed like he's had the stuff even when he struggled. It's just been like, and Kyle said it like this, it's just been like something's off. Like there's one thing that's off and hopefully you can fix that. Um, but I think the good news for Ian Anderson, for Braves fans, is that he's always going to have the stuff. He's always had the stuff. He's got the calm demeanor, the even-keeled attitude. All the ingredients are there. There's just something that's a little bit off. So I think this could be really something that is very beneficial, a quick fix. Um, and it comes at a time when, yes, they had a need for more length um, in their bullpen, but they need him to go down. They need him to figure it out. It doesn't mean he's never going to return again. It just means that this will be a short little stay, see if he can figure some things out working down there. Did get a chance to see all four of the Braves' new toys this weekend, including Jake Odorizzi, who made his first start. What did you think of him? Yeah, yeah, he was he was good. I mean, he cramped up a little bit, didn't expect it to be this hot here. Um, he's played out west and played in Houston under that roof uh, for a little bit. But, you know, he was good, just wasn't as efficient as he wanted. Um, but he took accountability, and I think the Braves will appreciate that. Like, he even said that at one point he pulled aside his infielders and was like, sorry guys like this one's on me um because he was keeping him out there too long on a hot day he's gonna be just fine he's been effective before in this game he's a proven starter they couldn't have a better guy to plug into the rotation and this made the anderson thing a little easier um and then you kind of go you shuffle around right like ricelli glessi is a proven closer we talked about him on our last show and he looks good other than you know a leadoff double in his first appearance for the team he set down, you know, the Mets in order pretty much the next two, you know, that and the next time he pitched. And so this is a guy who could really add a weapon at the bullpen. He's a guy who you could deploy even before the eighth inning, so you don't have to use him as a traditional setup man. You know, he might have the best stuff in the bullpen, um, and he's a proven closer. This is really a weapon for them. And then you have Robbie Grossman, who is acquired to hit lefties. Well, coincidentally, Jay, I mean, we spent so much time reading his splits on our last show. His first two doubles have come against righties. Um, and I, That's you know, why they I pay us the big bucks, everybody. Yep, yep. Yeah, no, we're yeah, all-knowing for sure. Omnipotent. But the funny thing with him is that, and I think this is interesting, I asked him a couple days ago about he had mentioned some mechanical adjustments uh, against righties. And I had asked him about that because in 2021 was the year where he had the most even splits, probably the best year of his career, 23 bombs. And he said that when he came over, 
the Braves analytics, analytics group immediately had some suggestions for him on things he was doing uh, from the left side against righties that could potentially help him. Um, and it was stuff that Detroit, I, I made sure to ask this, it was stuff that Detroit didn't notice that the Braves did. And he said, you know, he kind of complimented the Braves analytics staff and what they have going on there for even noticing these things. And Brian Sticker mentioned the same thing about, you know, thinking some guys in the building noticed a couple things and they've been making adjustments. And so that so far is going well because they really only need him to be a successful platoon with Eddie Rosario. And then if you had AD, Adrianza long, but AD for short, if you had him breaking up the Jacob deGrom perfect game by working a walk, uh, I, I guess we should send out the prize, right? Yes. That was that was crazy. I mean, he, he'll provide good infield depth. Uh, he's been fine so far. He knows them. You know, he's got good plate discipline, things like that. So, I, you know, he doesn't have to give them a ton because Ozzy, you know, shouldn't be super far from returning. But overall, I mean, I think the Braves did a good job at the deadline. There weren't any splashy moves, but I think they've got kind of as complete of a roster as you, you can really hope for, and a lot of those guys were on display this weekend. Is Travis Darno going to be able to avoid the DL? It seems like it. Yeah, so the plan with him is after that Saturday play where his leg kind of got crunched uh, along with Pete Alonso when he spun to tag Alonso, the x-rays were negative. He checked out fine. Everything's good with that. The Braves' plan is really to give him Sunday off and then into Monday's off day and then Tuesday and Wednesday in Boston off. William Contreras will catch those and then the Thursday off day off. So... He is expected to come back for Friday. They're hoping he can come back for Friday's game in Miami. It remains to be seen, but it looks like he's going to avoid the IL. It looks like he's just a little banged up and sore. Now, one of the huge positives for the Braves this week, which really was not a very positive week after Tuesday, is Ron Lacuna may finally be starting to look like himself. Stitt said he saw it coming earlier this week. I still think, man, I think Ronald's just so close. Just so close with some bats that he's had the last few games that, you know, he just got, I think, really close to getting on a tear, too, himself. He had four extra base hits in all of July. Now he's got four extra base hits this week, and Acuna says that he's still feeling the effects of last year's ACL injury. I would say so, and it's all part of the process, and I'm hoping for better days. But, you know, I would have to, you know, say, for example, um, you know, the knee with my swings, you know, that, it doesn't always feel the same, right? Some days I feel like I have confidence in it. Some days I don't feel like I have confidence in it, but um, it's not the same. So, but like I said, you know, it's all part of the process. We keep moving forward. How have you stay? How have you been able to stay positive throughout that process and keep going? No, I've never lost confidence in myself, and I've always considered myself a very patient baseball player. So, um, you know, I believe in myself. I'm going to go out there and play hard and have fun, and whatever happens, happens. Acuna looked great when he returned in April and, and May. But what's been the difference between then and now? Yeah, I think he's just trusting himself more. It's Brian Snicker mentioned a, a mental checklist of things he's got to check in his head that he can do. And trusting his knee more and his swings is one. And he's impacting the ball a lot better. He was popping up a lot and grounding out a lot during the times that he struggled. Now we're seeing a lot of hard-hit balls, you know, to the gaps, to the outfield, to the middle of the field. Um and I think he's being able to trust his knee more, at least, like, be a little stronger on it. And then in the field, he's made probably two or three plays that are better than any he had made before that since he returned. The first of them being that robbing Pete Alonso, that two-run home run um, in Friday's win. 
it's just showing himself that he can do that. And I think a lot of it's mental. Like, he never struggled before. He's, he's 24, and he's never struggled to this degree. Um, and granted, his numbers are still better than the average hitter. But showing himself that he can do that, getting a little more on a run, and we've seen the energy level go up with Acuna this week as he has performed better. And so I think it's, it's probably more mental than anything, even if, you know, obviously he works on a swing. They work mechanically with him on that swing and on his hitting. But... I think a lot of this is just showing himself he can do it and validating himself in that way. Now, we really do want to thank everybody for taking the time to listen to this podcast. And it obviously means, of course, you're a Braves fan. And if you're not subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, you know, we really do think you're missing out. First of all, this is what helps allow us to do this podcast for free. But there's so much content that Justin is able to provide because of the subscribers and because he's able to go to all the games no matter where they are. And if you're not subscribing, we do have this special offer that's, that's really just for people listening to the podcast. Don't tell anybody. We call it our season pass, and it's half off our regular offer. Unlimited digital access to the AJC for just $39.99 for the next eight months. That's $125 a week. So if you want to join the community, go to subscribe.ajc.com slash season pass. That is subscribe.ajc.com slash season pass. So you always know what's really going on. Quick look at what's up next. Two at Fenway with the last place Boston Red Sox. Charlie Morton will face Rich Hill and then Kyle Wright will get Nick Pavetta minutes uh, onto a weekend set against Miami and chance to pick up uh, two against the Sox who are kind of tr- sort of maybe packing in in the AL East. Yeah, for sure. Uh, who who had Baltimore um, at three games above the Sox <laughs> here here in August? And here, hey, this is pretty crazy. You look down these standings, right? And Boston is struggling, but they're only two games under five hundred. That's not going to get it done at this point in time, but it certainly shouldn't get you, you know, that far behind the Yankees. The Yankees are 70 and 39. Boston's 54 and 56. So uh, Boston is buried in the standings, um, is just completely done. And yeah, I mean, they've, they've got to get these games. I mean, it's a chance to get back on track against Boston, a team who hasn't pitched well. Um, isn't playing great defense, just has not executed at all. You've seen a lack of energy with that club. And then Miami has been a doormat for other NL East teams like the Mets, um, who just played them. Um, so, yeah, you've, you've really got to get these, and it's a chance for the Braves to, to get four in Miami, especially with that because of that doubleheader. All right, time for Ask Justin. We answer your questions on Twitter at Justin C. Toscano. Not going to lie, we had a lot to pick through. And it was not all arable because this is a family-friendly show, of course. But we do have some we, – we, we've, we've moved through the, the, the rants and, and the venting, and that's what we're here for. But here are the real questions, and we'll first start with uh, Anna Huff-Stutler. Was this week in the wake-up call the Braves needed to highlight the issues they need to fix going down the stretch? Could this bad display end up working out for the good of the team? Dansby answered something like that when you asked him about it. Got a lot more left than – uh, sometimes you kind of need a little bit of like a I, I don't like using the term like wake up call like super it's like hey guys like we gotta be better you know and we will because that's what we do here he didn't want to use the term wake up call but is it a wake up call yeah yeah for for all intents and purposes it is and uh, that's how I that's how I know we're on the same page in this podcast I was literally going to my Google Doc to reference that quote and read it verbatim but I like how he said that you don't have to use the word wake-up call you don't have to panic you don't have to do any of that but you heard the sense of urgency in his voice we have to be better 
because that, and that's what we, we will because that's what we do here. Uh, so they do have to be better. This should be a wake-up call, and this should be like, hey, the next time the Mets come to town, this has got to be better, or it will end similarly to this. As another jet passes through a podcast from at ATL Profit, what is the vibe like in the locker room after this series? Yeah, I mean, you you know, no music playing uh, through all these losses. It was very subdued, um, pretty somber. But I just think they're confident. Like Spencer Strider had a, you know, very confident quote um, just about the next time they played these guys. I think I speak for all of us when I say that we want to play them again. we got seven more games all, all at Truist. So, you know, we'll have them down there next week and run it back and see what happens. And uh, like I said, you know, it's, it's August. So they... Uh, like I said, you know, a lot of luck and weird hits, but um, that stuff doesn't necessarily lead to long-term success. So you know, we're excited to play them again and try it, try it one more time. I think they all kind of take that attitude that they know it's not over. They know they can beat the Mets. Um, they're frustrated with how it's gone, and they think it's a strange series with a lot of weird things happening, and they'll be ready next time. Speaking of weird things, from Tom S., do the players say anything about the umpiring? <laughs> Um, sometimes they do. Sometimes they would rather just not get, you know, blasted on social media or something like that. But, for example, Strider had a couple of calls that didn't appear to go the Mets' way against him today. Uh, and he said, I mean, I don't, I don't need to see replay to know if it's a ball or a strike. I mean, I'm on the field looking right at the plate, looking right at the zone. I can usually tell. I'm not, I'm not trying to get balls called strikes. I just want strikes called strikes. And, you know, everybody has bad days. The, that crew didn't have a great game, in my opinion. It's a tough series, a weird series. You know, I can't control the umpire. I can't control strike zone. So it's frustrating. But, yeah, I mean, there's, like I said, there's some counts that would have would have been different had, you know, the calls been correct or different. That's about, for the Braves clubhouse, that's about as candid as you're going to get on the umpire because a lot of guys don't speak on it. A lot of times, Snicker doesn't like to speak on it. And from Michael Willingham, what do we do with Ozuna in the DH spot? Well, we don't do anything. We just talk, but what will the Braves do? We will talk about it and suggest them to do things. No, I'm just kidding. But I think, I mean, you got to keep running him out there, especially with Travis Darno hurt and William Contreras catching. I mean, sure, you can put, you know, you can't really use if you start Eddie Rosario in left field. They can't put Robbie Grossman there. I mean, you want to be able to switch the two, have one of those be a bench bat, and play the matchup a little better. But like, so you have to kind of keep running Rosario out there. And I've seen a lot of calls for them to DFA him, and I would actually be very surprised because of the contract. And they can't really. I mean, you don't want to eat that. Like at this point, you're not going to get anything better. I mean, you could get better production from somebody, but I think you got to keep running him out there and hope that he just gives you the occasional home run every week. All right, winners of the week. My winner of the week is Eddie Rosario for a great moment he had. So I asked Michael Harris the other day, um, and a little backstory: Michael Harris told us that the hecklers at Nationals Park uh, were pretty pretty bad on him. So I asked the ones at City. I asked him about the people at City Field, and he said, "Well, he hasn't had any issues." But at one point during the game, Ronald Acuna came over and asked if he had any issues. And Harris said no and asked Acuna if he had. And Acuna said, yeah, they've been crazy all night. And then Harris said he saw Eddie Rosario. This is a great moment. They were chanting, Rosario, you suck, out in left field. <laughs> and Eddie Rosario didn't say anything back except to point at his ring finger. So I think that that's worthy of a winner of the week. Mine is Rysel Iglesias. 
because he's not an angel anymore. And he didn't have to watch his former team hit seven home runs on Thursday and still <laughs> lose to the A's, tying a major league record for the most home runs hit in a game that your team lost. Oh, my God. That is incredible. The best tweet I've ever seen, the most fitting tweet I've ever seen, was something like every day you see the Angels headlines about how Mike Trout goes three for four with a home run and Shohei Otani goes three for four with a home run and they combine for eight RBIs and the Angels still lose. Like, I don't know how it happens. It just does. Uh, but welcome to a contender. Seven solo home runs for the Angels. And they that is Talk about not moving the line. That's brutal. And our coaches of the week, congratulations to the Braves Youth Baseball and Youth Softball Coaches of the Week, Chase Timms of Cherokee County, who coaches at East Cherokee Baseball, and Kevin Pittman of Jefferson, who is a softball coach for the 10 and under Jefferson Dragons and the 18 and under EC Bullets Fast Pitch. Check out this week's nominees and cast your vote at AJC.com slash Braves Coach of the Week, which is brought to you by the Atlanta Braves and your local Kroger store. So we'll wrap it up here. Have fun at Fenway Park, buddy. Yeah, thanks. No, that's uh, one of the special places in baseball, and uh, we'll get stuff there, get stuff in Miami, and be back next week. The Braves Report comes out every Monday, so please tell your friends, tell your buddies, tell your family, and please rate, review, follow, share, and subscribe this podcast. Your ratings and your reviews really do help us grow this show. So if you'd like us to grow this show, please help us out there. And if you don't, well, that's okay, too. But we'll see you next Monday on the Braves Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. When you're looking for leading cardiac treatment, look to Northside Hospital Heart Institute. We lead with five emergency cardiac care centers, so we're here when you need us most. We lead with more than 55 locations in Georgia. That means we're always in the heart of your neighborhood. We lead with clarity, because clear direction is better when it comes to understanding every step of your treatment. Northside Hospital Heart Institute. We lead with heart. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com.